Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. One single kick of a ball, the power to change the world. Not quite so dramatic in Gdansk, but still one single kick of the ball by a goalkeeper of all people had the power to change things at United. The power to make this week a special one, full of celebration for United and us as fans, but it wasn't to be. The reality was win for Manchester United in a 22 penalty shootout and a poor performance would have been papered over loss as it was and a poor performance would draw instant overreactions from all corners. We'll try to steer clear of that. Welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast, a sombre occasion, I think, reflecting on defeat to Villarreal in the UEFA Europa League final. We're recording a couple of days after the final itself. 1-1 in normal time, no goals scored in extra time. 21 successful penalties before David De Gea saw his efforts saved by John Murray. We'll be reviewing the season as a whole in some detail in the next week or so, looking at the big picture, what the season really deserves in our memories, what it tells us about the future under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And we'll preview the summer outline and our thoughts on the transfer window, the young players breaking through and what the team needs, all of that kind of stuff. But that will all come in a week or so. For now, we'll just focus on the game and rather than getting caught up in a roundabout of disappointment and regret, uh, Jack, let's let's go through it a little bit systematically to try and cope with the despair, uh, beginning with the team selection. Uh, right or wrong in your opinion, Paul Popper playing centrally, uh, no double pivot of uh, McTominay and Fred a brave call I guess and I was glad to see Mason Greenwood start and to be honest I was pleased De Gea started I thought this would be a a nice way to go out it was not quite in that situation but isolating the team selection what did you think of it pre-match and what do you think of it post-match I was shocked I was definitely shocked pre-game at the team that we put out I thought it was nailed on that it would be McTominay and Fred in midfield I know that Fred picked up a little bit of a knock against Fulham in the penultimate Premier League game. But I mean, mm. McTominay and Fred have been the, the first choice midfield partnership, not just in big games recently. It's been in, in all kinds of games. I didn't, I didn't hate it actually. I've got to say, and I still don't hate it. I, I think it was a brave call. It was very mm. brave, but actually 
I don't think it was the wrong decision. And the reason we lost the, the game certainly isn't because we were, you know, missing an extra yeah. sort of defensive minded midfielder. If anything, we lost the game because we couldn't break Villarreal down and, you know, having Paul Pogba slightly deeper and then allowing us to play Rashford and Greenwood certainly makes us more creative, not less creative. So even after the game, I'm, I'm still, I'm still somewhat shocked that, that was the team selection, but I don't think it was a bad call. Yeah. I don't think it was necessarily the the wrong call. It was just different to what we all expected. Sure, maybe things would have turned out differently had the team selection been different, but I, I, at this point, I think it's complete speculation. I don't think that is anywhere near one of the yeah, main the reasons only, why the we, only, we lost yeah, the game. The downside um, to it was that the options off the bench were severely limited, uh, which I, I think we'll yeah. come back to probably in the season review in terms of squad management is you look to that bench and there were some very good players on on it. And I, I think the most obvious example of this is Donny van der Beek, but those players hadn't really been given a opportunity to find their rhythm this season. And so it comes to a crunch match. It comes to a final where you need to make changes and you look to your bench and you think, mm, the, the resources I have on the pitch are probably still better, even if they're tired, even if they haven't been able to do it yet. And I think that's something we mentioned a few months ago as well. But yeah, in terms, of, I think everyone looked yeah. at that team and thought that's good. And you could see that in extra time. I mean, for, from both teams, to be fair, not just from United, but you could see that in extra time, the intensity just completely yeah. dropped out of the game, which is understandable given, you know, a long season, 120 minutes in a final, but some, some fresh legs off the bench would have been, potentially a, a real game changer and we yeah we just didn't have those those kind of players available to yeah. us unfortunately and ultimately I think United started reasonably well it was a decent start um, and then the goal was yeah I mean it wasn't perfect but I think the first half was okay apart from the goal and the goal was typical of what we've seen all season uh, I think Mark Critchley at the Independent wrote that this was kind of, and this is a phrase we've used in the past, actually, a, a kind of a culmination of all of United's weaknesses in, into one evening. And, and that was the truth. And we'll come on to a few more of them, the goalkeeping situation and the inability to break down teams who, who operate in two banks of four. Um, but this one was about set pieces. At first, giving them away kind of unnecessarily. We didn't need to give that corner away, but more importantly, not being able to defend them and it was it was really poor and what's interesting is I was actually just doing some research for a piece on Scott McTominay um, and involved in that I was looking at uh, the best players in the air for United this season in terms of percentage of aerial duels won and kind of all of United's back four and midfield are well above average in terms of that Maguire, Lindelof, McTominay, Pogba, Matic, Shaw. I'm not sure about Aaron Bissaka. I didn't check him, but these are all players who who win kind of at least sixty percent. And someone like Matic, seventy seven percent. Maguire, I think, is seventy five percent of all all of his aerial battles. This is to say, we have players who are good in the air. Unfortunately, when it comes to defending set pieces, that ability to defend in the air evaporates. Well, I think it's those, those stats show, you know, great when you get into a position to fight for the ball, how effective are you at being the person you're competing with? What it doesn't show you is yeah. how often you actually are close enough to the ball to actually be in an aerial, a, a, an aerial duel. And that's been our yeah, issue, I think. So, so many of the goals that we concede from set, piece, set pieces 
it's it's not as if you know Maguire and whatever striker we're playing against have gone up and Maguire has been beaten in the air. The issue normally is that there's someone left free in the box, as there was for Villarreal's goal. There just doesn't seem to be the organisation at the back that we need. And we spoke before the game that Maguire's absence is huge, not just because he's our best defender, but also because of what he brings in terms of organising those around him. And it seemed like that was sorely lacking for the goal. I mean, just letting Gerald Moreno run run like that from a free kick is criminal. It's absolutely criminal for a defender. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> I understand that you might be worried about playing him offside, yeah, and and trying to let him go. But it it was it just it beggars belief to me that you can let someone run that freely that close to your own goal. And it, I mean, it it was such a body blow because I'm with you that I actually don't think we started that badly. The first fifteen minutes. I thought we came out of the traps really, really quickly. We played some really nice football. And although we didn't create a, a brilliant chance, it felt like we were able to get in behind Villarreal pretty often. We, our press was brilliant. They were unable to get out for the mo- most of the first 20, 25 minutes. And they had a succession of, of set pieces. There was one where they almost scored at, at the back post of a late runner. And then obviously the goal. And that, that really was a hammer blow. And it seemed to sort of suck the life out of United. But I mean, yet again... Yeah, and I think think, coming back to Hornets. Yeah, and I I think it was the point because obviously we started a very strong team, and and as we said, we didn't have those options on the bench. And I think uh, you you do have to think about your options late into a game, into a final. And and Solskjaer and his his uh, the coaching staff certainly would have thought about their options off the bench. So I think putting out that strongest team with pretty much all of our best players playing well, actually all of them available playing, you kind of have to then go out and, and have an impact early on. You want to get the, get into a lead early on so that you don't have to bring on that creativity and inventiveness and something to save the game later. And I think that we didn't really take advantage. We weren't quite good enough. I think in the second half, we got worse. We got a bit more desperate. And yeah, the first half was okay, but th- there was a lot of reliance on Villarreal pushed the ball over to the right side where we've always been weaker uh, to, to Wambasaka, which is something a lot, loads of teams this season, Carl Anker and the Athletics have written about it a lot. Leave Wambasaka alone, let him get on the ball because he's not as threatening as Shaw or Rashford or Pogba or Bruno, etc. So it was a lot of McTominay and Wambasaka on the ball. I think McTominay had a very good game. He was voted man of the match. He, he received a lot of praise for his game. He was really good at driving forward. Um, but Villarreal did that well and it was, it, it, they, they approached the game in, in the right manner. They forced Bruno Fernandes to go deep. Uh, Capu, Etienne Capu spoke about it after the game. And the problem was Fernandes would drop deep and then he'd get on the ball and there wouldn't really be an option for him to pass to except sideways because I think because Pogba was playing in midfield, so he was still a little bit deeper. McTominay was obviously deeper. Uh, Rashford doesn't come inside that much. Uh, he normally stays out on the left, so he doesn't come inside to offer that option. Cavani, obviously, but he's been marked by two centre-backs. So Villarreal kind of, they, they their tactics were superior. And yet Cavani scores the equaliser, uh, a fortunate chance that fell to him, but he did brilliantly to get back on inside and, and, and was, of course, he was in the in the right place at the right time because he's a brilliant striker. And yet after that, I thought we had it. I thought 
I thought it was only a matter of time before we went and won that game. So did I. I, I mean, there was a moment, probably about a minute, I think, after after the goal had gone in. And I think we had a corner. McTominay kept the ball in, alive in the box. It came out to Fernandez, And he put in a little bit of a drag shot that went just wide that Cavani was very close to getting a touch. Yeah. And at that point, when straight after scoring, we had Villarreal backed up really under the cosh. And for the previous, what, 40 minutes in the game between Villarreal scoring and ourselves scoring, I mean, they had offered nothing. And I mean, nothing at all. Yeah. I think it was their still their only shot on target, wasn't it? In in the whole game, and it felt it, it felt like only a matter of time before we we would break them down. The Villarreal looked like they were tired. We had been starting to get more of a foothold in the game in the sort of five minutes before the goal as well, having not had the best start to the second half, and it, it felt like a a game that was there for us to to put our foot down. And take the initiative, yeah. and it, it just sort of ebbed away. And I, I honestly, still now, I mean, probably like most of you haven't actually watched the game back because I, I don't really want to relive it. But trying to think, you know, what went wrong in that period, and I, I honestly can't put my finger on anything. It, it didn't. There wasn't a moment that killed our momentum. I don't think we played particularly badly after that. You know, it's not like we were making terrible m- mistakes. We just it seemed like we lost our intensity in the game. We allowed Villarreal to get their foot on the ball a lot more. And even though they didn't create anything, they definitely were more of a force in the game at that point. You know, we, we let them sort of get back in the game when at a point where we were so dominant. Yeah. And then it, it just, it felt like we, we just didn't have any, anything left towards the end of the of play. I mean, really the, the half an hour after our equaliser was, it flew by just almost nothing happened yeah. in the game for either team yeah I think I mean yeah I haven't I haven't watched the game back either although I've watched some some highlights until the until the very end when at which point I've turned it off um, I think it, it, I mean it was typical of, of that failure to to break down blocks but it absolutely felt like it was a matter of time not because necessarily we were playing well but I think that they it's had that inevitability about it this season. We've come from behind and once we get the yeah. equaliser, we've become so used to it. I mean, what, 13, 14 wins from behind in all competitions this season. It's a, it might be a, a couple fewer than that, but it's a brilliant record. And it's, so it, it, you do, you got into that sense of comfort. And Vera also won offering anything on the ball. Yeah. You know, it's not, it, to me, it would have been slightly worrying if, every time they won the ball back, they were able to spring a counter-attack and look dangerous scoring a second. They didn't. We were doing actually a brilliant job of penning them in and, and they had no respite at all. And when you can get a team in that position, it feels like it, it is only a matter of time before something's going to get... And, and yet it, it wasn't. And I think because we were... It, it, it comes down to breaking down blocks and, and our problem was we had if you think about the type of players we had on the pitch we have Rashford who generally stays on the shoulder of not the last defender but his defender staying wide right he's not one for he'll cut inside when he gets the ball but he's not really one for coming inside and and kind of there was no one in that team forcing Villarreal to break their shape they could sit there with their their two banks of four and their two strikers uh, putting pressure on the ball when it went back to Bayern Lindelof and they could sit there and kind of be obviously not relaxed but relatively relaxed because there was no one 
forcing them to, there was no one interrupting their system. Cavani stayed central and he, he actually came back deep areas quite a lot to, to either receive the ball or to work defensively. I thought his, he was an, a complete leader on the pitch in attacking defence and, and epitomised his, 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 his game. I thought Mason Greenwood was very good, not only in terms of quality on the ball, but also in terms of his work rate. But there was no one disrupting the Villarreal defence, so they could sit there with their two, two banks of four, and nothing really happened. And Bruno dropped deep and that, that brings out Etienne Capu, but then no one would come in and fill that space. And so you had pretty much a, a line of three or four United attackers matched man for man, sometimes two men to one, one man in the Villarreal defence, Cavani in the middle, Greenwood on the right, sometimes coming in and then Rashford or Bruno. And, and then you had the midfield trying to create something, but having very little options to pass vertically, just going from side to side. And so the only chances that United got in the end were from McTominay or Bruno or Greenwood, uh, sometimes Pogba, although he did this more in the first half than the second half, driving forward, using their strength and their ability on the ball to drive forward. And that is, it's a perfectly good way of playing football, but it needs to be supplemented by something else. And and the fact that we only could create chances by individuals driving forward into space and beating their men, it's not, it's not enough. No, not at all. Not at all. And there were, there are a couple of moments in, I think towards the end of the first half and then the beginning of the second <clears throat> where Shaw was was able to get in behind. Him and Rashford had a couple of nice bits of of interplay, and that again that that felt like our route back into the game because we were able to stretch the defense a little bit and create create some space. And we just weren't able to do it to, to sustain it. We weren't able to do it often enough. We weren't able to stretch Villarreal's defense. And you're right; it then came down to individual moments. Really, Rashford. Had a, had a poor game overall, but there were a few moments where he, he did manage to create some brilliance and, and beat a man. Greenwood had a couple of great runs, but we were just never able to put it all together. And yeah, I mean, I mean I'm struggling really with, with what to say because I think it is just the same problems that we've dissected to, to pieces all, all season. This inability to break down deep blocks, inability to defend step, set pieces and and just I, I tweeted this during the game it felt like I was transported back to the start of the season I felt like I was in September again because it, it felt that that felt like especially the second half that felt like the game we, we were watching where a team knows that they can just sit back and hit us on the counter-attack yeah. and that we aren't this potent attacking force that we have been to be fair for majority of the second half of the season you know it, just, it felt like that potency kind of went away yeah, for you know a whole combination of, of reasons, but I just it felt like we lost all of our fluidity that has been even in our bad performances has still been there so much recently. You know, even when we haven't played at our best, there's been moments where you watch us play and you just think, "Wow, this is a, a really good team." When we put it all together, and there just weren't moments like that in the game. Yeah, Every, everything felt very disjointed, and and I I don't know, I honestly can't put my finger on, on why that was. Well, I think we have to talk about the fact no changes were made until I can't remember the exact minute. I think at the hundredth minute or something. At some point in uh, the first half of extra time, I think was the the first change. I think yeah, Fred came on in the hundredth minute for for Mason Greenwood, who was having a, a, a brilliant game, and and Rashford, who had one of his poorer games was uh, left on. I think because there's always that faith in his ability to generate 
sudden moments of quality, I think often means he's left on ahead of Greenwood, who might have been flagging a bit, but I think was kind of, to me, watching it felt like Mason and, and Cavani were the two dragging that team forward through the second half and then through yeah. the first bit of extra time as well. So I was disappointed in that. And I think ultimately yeah, managers like always, sub to me. yeah, but managers always faced with that, well, stick or twist, the, the, the classic scenario. Do you stick with the quality you've got on the pitch that the, the best players at the club who started the game were good enough to start the game or do you tweak something and ultimately you tweak something too late? It, it, it was pretty much futile by then. And then, and then you have a flurry of subs. Dan James 115th, Twanzebe a minute later, and then suddenly Mata and Tellez come on late on. And I think enough has probably been said about the failure to make substitutions and it will probably be a lesson learned, I think. And I think if it is a lesson learned, then then that's all right. If all the, it's uh, it, there are so many cliched phrases to fit the idea of learning from failure from the greatest sportsmen and women around. But ultimately it's true. You have to learn from, from these moments. And if this moment is learnt from, I don't just mean for the players, but also for the manager, then that's, that's something at least it's a silver lining. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a tough one to take for, for everyone in the club. And it's, that phrase learned from failure is used so often, but it's so difficult to actually do because our natural instinct is to forget failure. That's all that we want to do. And I, I think what was so disappointing about this is that, you know, this is a obviously an issue that has been picked apart in Solskjaer's management for years now. The fact that his in-game management probably doesn't stack up to to other managers and also other parts of his own management that is generally very good. And I think this season it's been much better, especially in the last sort of eight or nine months. He's been, I think, actually really good at, at managing game situations. He's made the, the right subs. He's understood. And we've seen a lot improvement, I think, in, in the way that he's able to handle games. And it was so disappointing to see that kind of revert back to the old the old ways if, in, in the most important time. Yeah. I mean... I can I can understand why we waited so long to make subs. As we as we said before, the issue with playing your strongest eleven from the start is that you then have very very limited options off the bench. And to be fair, if you look down at our bench, I don't think you would say that anyone who we, who who we had available was anyone that inspired confidence that if we brought them on, they have the ability to change this game. So I can understand why I waited so long, but. Even when he did then make subs, I mean, taking Greenwood off was—I mean, it was—it was just a, a seriously confusing decision to me. Having been, without a doubt, our most dangerous, our most dangerous player, and I, again, it, I agree with you that it feels like Rashford, because he is sort of the talisman of this team, he, he is able to stay on. I think when his performances maybe aren't quite stacking up, and it. It definitely felt like Greenwood should have been on for the entire 120 minutes. It, sure, he, yeah. he looked well, tired, but he definitely wasn't, you know, a, a problem in the game because of his tiredness. Yeah, I just, I, 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 I it, it could have come off. I don't think bringing on a midfielder for forward was the worst idea because it, it could have freed McTominay and Pobber up a bit, but that, that isn't what happened. Um, 
and ultimately I think it was it was it was done at the wrong time and for the wrong person. The other one is should he have brought Henderson on for De Gea, which would have been another brave call. Uh, and and yeah, I mean the answer is probably he should have done hindsight. It's a wonderful thing. Did everyone claiming that they thought about it? Did they actually think about it? <laughs> probably not. Some people pro- must have done, and I'm sure he thought about it. I'm a hundred percent sure he considered bringing Henderson on. I didn't think about it at the time, but I was a few pints deep in a pub and it, it wasn't my job to think about it. Uh, the brave call would have been to bring Henderson on for a day who had 40 penalties without saving one of, I mean, to be fair, before the shootout, it was a, a mere 29 without sh- uh, saving one. I just, yeah, the, the brave call would have been Henderson, but I, I I don't really know what to say on that one. It's it's a hard decision to make. He probably should have made it. Yeah, I, it's one of these things that has got a lot of attention post game that I don't think many people were seriously thinking about during the during the match. It's not as if everyone was clamouring for Henderson to come on. I mean, it, it's such a. I think it it would have been one of the most awful decisions anyone would have to make thinking about it. On the other but, hand, I mean, Henderson has a great penalty record. The Hay has a terrible one. And it, that's, that's it. They, they yeah. know that. They must have known that. I think Henderson's record is nine, nine saves from 17 and De Gea's is 29 in a row without saving one for club and country. That's, and De Gea is, it has all, I mean, especially over the last few years, has been so questionable in, in saving penalties. He basically just falls. And there's a, there's a, there's a goalkeeper analysis. I think John Harrison on Twitter, who, who is, who's written about this before, actually, before the shootout, talking about the Hayes, um, penalty saving technique and how he brings his inner leg inwards, which means he can't dive quite as far into the corner. So unless the ball is, is, uh, hit kind of a yard in from the post, then he's not going to save it. And if, I mean, if a, a, an analyst off Twitter can notice that for the last few years, then I'm sure United coaches have thought about it as well. So it would have been a brave call and the right one. And that ultimately is, that's what they're paid to do is to have that knowledge and to make that brave call. And yeah, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but if you're going to be successful, you need to make those at the right time. No, I agree. But I also think, you know, I I, I think it's undoubted with that the stats back up the decision to to replace De Gea with Henderson. But I also think it's easy it's easy for us all to sit here and be like, yeah, I definitely would have done that. You know, look at look at the numbers. But in the middle of the game, when you're managing a team like United, the 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 occasion and the emotion behind it is is part of any human decision. And I think it's so easy for for us to sit here and say, yeah, I definitely would have, you know, definitely would have brought Henderson on. He's got a great penalty saving record. But to be honest with you, I don't think many of us even thought about it at the time. And I'm assuming someone on the United's bench did and made their call for whatever reason not to to make the replacement. I, it's the kind of thing that needs, I think, a lot of foresight that if it was going to happen, it needed to be handled before the game even began that it was a plan that you have like we've looked at the numbers we know Henderson is better and it's a discussion that takes place between the between the coaching staff and the players before the game even begins that right if we go to penalties Henderson comes on everyone is aware of what happens you know it, it, yeah because if yeah. you don't then the the decision can be horrific not just for the goalkeepers but it puts the entire team sort of on edge as well um 
So yeah. it, it's it's one of those things that it needed so much sort of foresight and planning, and maybe it would have changed the game. But I think, to be honest, I'm less interested in analysing anything about the penalty shootout because we had 120 minutes of football where yeah, we should have yeah, won the yeah. game. But I, I do agree that you know they, these are ultimately are the decisions that a top manager is paid to make. But I I can completely understand why the decision was made to leave the hay on. Yeah, yeah. The, the the shootout did show. I think that for me, I, it was so tense, um, and some great penalties taken. And to take a silver lining, that that shootout showed to me the connection we've got with the players at the moment. Because each one, I was as desperate for them not to miss as much for United and and for my uh, self celebration as for for them as people. Especially, I think the. Uh, when Twanzebis stepped up, I was just desperate for him to score. Same with Lindelof, I think, and, and loads of players. Yeah, Lindelof um, was, was Dan the one for Dan James as well, like, I was delighted yeah, to see he scored. It was, it, it was yeah. the players that get so much criticism. Lindelof and Fred were the big ones for me. Just like, if they if they were to have missed, it just would have been yeah. like awful. Yeah. Yeah, we better wrap up. Um, I think the truth is we come out of that without the, A, without the celebration and, and it would have been so brilliant, but also with more questions than answers, more uncertainties than before. And we'll get on to, to progress that, that magical word in our season review uh, in, in a week or so. But, but I mean, in short progress this season, yes, enough, no. And, there, there is never a trophyless season that will be remembered for much. And that that's the truth. This will be remembered for being extraordinary in terms of off the pitch and scheduling and various things. But ultimately, in a couple of decades time, we will forget about it because we haven't won a trophy. And that's why they're so important. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, we'll wrap things up there. We'll be... Say some of the, it's such a tough sort of thing to, to walk the, the line between how disappointing this is and sort of the bigger picture. You know, there's been so much yeah. debate and we can get into this more in our season review, but you know, how, like, how much does this change the rest of the season? You know, we talked about it last time, like how, you know, I think I used the phrase cherry on top of the cake and, and you sort of push back, which I completely understand, but some of the reaction has just been to me, just completely out of proportion for what this is, I think this doesn't inv- one game doesn't invalidate the previous sixty-five or however many we've played, and this, despite the fact that it is arguably the most important game of the season, of course, this changes things because it's not just one game; it's what it can change going forward. It's the memory that this team knows how to win, and there will always be that seed of doubt until this team does win a trophy about whether we can actually do it. But you know, some of the some of the vitriol on Twitter especially has just been ridiculous. I think most of us would probably have considered this a nine out of 10 season if we'd have won the Europa League. And then, you know, you've got journalists saying, I can't even remember who it was now that I saw who tweeted about how would you rate this season? I think he rated it a three. And, and you know, basic, basing that a season going from potentially a nine to a three based on one kick of the ball from our second choice goalkeeper is to me, it just feels completely out of whack. Yeah. We'll pick that conversation up in our season review. But for now, we'll wrap things up. Uh, for more from you throughout the week, where can people find you on Twitter? 
at UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. Apologies if my sound quality is not very good. I don't have my mic at the moment, so sorry if this isn't the as crisp as normal. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at HarryRobinson64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. Thank you very much for listening. And while we've put you through the pain all over again, and I apologise for that, but um, some interesting thoughts at least. And we'll be back next week, as I say, with that season review. Um, and we'll probably do, uh, if I find the time, we'll do some stuff on the academy season review, maybe a women's team as well. But uh, we'll leave that all for next week while we, we mourn a missed opportunity. But thanks for listening. Have a great week. Goodbye. Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.